This hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. Very much appreciate it. Plenty to get into today. Really great guest. But before we get to that guest, I had something that was on my mind, something I've been thinking about, and I have no one to talk to about this but you. So let me just share it. Uh... So, some big news came out of the NBC, it's not some big news, but but something happened in the NBC late night world, and it's that last call with Carson Daly is going off the air, at least Carson Daly's leaving the show. I, I got the impression that the show was ending after like 17 years. That's the 1.30 a.m. slot. And it dawned on me, there's this great opportunity that NBC has to build somebody up for later, and well... So you know how most late night talk show comedy shows have uh, the same kind of person hosting? <laughs> I don't have anything against uh, uh, straight white men, and, uh, and uh, you know they can handle it. If I point this out, at least most of them can. Uh, <laughs> but I, I love a lot of them. I love Colbert, I love Conan, I love Fallon, I love Seth Meyers. But you know. Uh, it's great to have diversity, not just because of, you know, who you see, but just like perspective, right? And so we have this opportunity at 1.30 now at NBC for them to, like, prepare somebody to one day host Late Night or The Tonight Show even. Because think about it. The reason the people who have those jobs now is because they had opportunities 20, 30 years ago to gain some experience, to, to get some exposure. So they got to be big. And those are some opportunities that women weren't getting so much and people weren't getting quite as much. And so the landscape is what it is today because of choices that were made by network people 20 and 30 years ago. Well, here's an opportunity to put someone like Amber Ruffin on at 1.30, it gives her some experience running her own show, gives her some exposure so that she can build an audience. And then when it's time for Seth Myers to step down late night, she could host late night or whatever. You know, like how much longer can these guys host the show? Uh, Seth Myers and, and Jimmy Fallon are in their mid-40s. Tonight Show hosts, they've gone into their 60s hosting that show, but people haven't gone well into their 50s hosting late night, you know, like that isn't a thing. So 10, 15 years from now, NBC is probably going to be making some new choices. And they are pretty big about promoting from within these days. So why not prepare an Amber Ruffin or someone? There are plenty of great you know people who could have that opportunity. Why not start preparing them now? And, and sort of correct the mistake that networks have been making for so long of not really expanding the landscape. 
So I just I'm I'm watching this choice closely. As soon as as the announcement came that Carson Daly wouldn't be doing it anymore, I thought, oh, that's uh, that's interesting. I, I wonder what they're going to do with that. I've got my eyes on you, NBC. No. <laughs> No, it's just something I was thinking about. It's been on my brain lately. Late night stuff has been on my brain. Colbert has been on my brain recently. He was on Conan O'Brien's podcast last week. Great episode. Check it out if you haven't already. Actually, pause this, go listen to that, and then come back to this. And I really admire Colbert. I think um, anyone who gets a chance to work around him is a really lucky person. There's so many talented people there that you're just lucky to work around them. And today's guest works for The Late Show. He's very talented in his own right. He's a very talented comedian and writer. His name is James Quo. And he talks about performing in New York City and his work. And it's a really great talk. So let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with James Quo. Thanks so much for coming in and, and meeting with me for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, of course. Yeah, I've heard a good bit about you over time just because we're magnet people. So, yeah. um, you know, keep hearing about you. And you were on Tallulah, uh, which is a team that was still going when we first got here. Okay. And I loved Tallulah. It was like one of my favorite teams. So, so I was glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I was bummed when, I, when uh, you all disbanded. But, um, uh, so you've been here a while, but you moved here in 2010 after college. Yes. Correct? Yeah. And where'd you go to college? Uh, UC Irvine out in okay. California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you doing comedy there or before? No. Oh, wow. So Not. you moved here and then got into comedy, yeah. basically. Well, I always liked comedy. Uh-huh. So I guess I didn't not do comedy. Uh, I I tried to start like a humor magazine mm. at uh at my school yeah uh did not go well uh, or just no one cared that much and i was not a very good writer <laughs> and there just wasn't really that like uh in like because I, I was just like oh look at at harvard and yale they have like hasty pudding or yeah oh, what those those groups and like yeah, national lampoon exactly yeah. i was like well we should try something there's i live in orange county and mm-hmm. there's a lot of absurdities yeah. there yeah uh and no one was really that interested and Interesting. so it was just me writing stuff oh so it wasn't like a team <laughs> i tried to make it a team it would oh. it i did not have that skill uh, set in me. <laughs> i wonder how it how like the lamp harvard lampoon did get started i mean uh, probably just I've a bunch heard. of people in a room going like let's <laughs> let's see i don't know like this horse is crazy let's write about that i don't know because it's always weird stuff like it that is, yeah honestly i've read i've like i've looked it up and i'm like i don't i it's great i guess i don't really get it <laughs> yeah i you know i the stories i've heard about some sort of shenanigans going on is more like more of what i was interested in in any writing i've seen them do because so much of it's probably stuck in the time period yeah um but no like hearing conan o'brien tell crazy stories right <laughs> that was what i liked about the harvard lampoon existing um so you when you got here i mean so you were you dabbled in comedy a little bit because you liked it but when you got here like what was the impetus for moving to new york was it comedy or uh not really it was i so i grew up in orange county mm-hmm. uh and it's the like i think by fbi standards it has like less than one murders a year oh, uh, wow. like it's super safe mm-hmm. all right angles mm-hmm. it's like just like a really it's a great place to raise a family but like uh-huh. i was bored <laughs> and uh 
And you wanted sis- some murder in your life. I wanted yeah. more than one murders a year in where I was living. Because <laughs> really, what's the point uh, otherwise? Um, uh, yeah, my sister was already at NYU. Mm-hmm. And so I managed to get an internship uh, at MTV News and Norton mm-hmm. Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, just to sort of... Uh, you know, have something to do. Yeah. But I do know, I did always really like The Daily Show and Colbert Report, mm-hmm. and that was like, that was what I wanted to do. Oh, interesting. What was your background? Like, were you a, like a journalism major, broadcast major, anything in college? Like- I was an English and political science double major. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so when you said, when you, you know, realized, like, I want to, I love Colbert Report, I love Daily Show, I want to be there... Uh, what was the end goal for that at this point? Uh, at that point, it was to like see a tape <laughs> oh, and like hopefully maybe get to work there. Yeah, I had no idea what the path was. Right, uh, I just knew that I watched like uh, I really liked the Daily Show, but the Colbert mm-hmm. Report is the thing that like I was like sixteen when the first <laughs> episode came. So like uh-huh. it was like right when I started thinking about politics and mm-hmm. uh, and that really shaped for better or for worse a lot of my uh politics and comedy <laughs> yeah i mean that's a good age to get into a good show like that i mean that that those teen years for me it was conan o'brien and and snl yeah uh and then college years were uh daily show and then it, i think it was like right after college maybe when colbert report started but um uh nevertheless like those teenage years are just like you know, your your brain is just ready to soak up a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, and you have so much time to watch it. So too. much time. I and then and then on top of that, it's just be like, I don't know what to think about something. And here's this person telling me how and like why something is really silly or absurd or bad mm-hmm. or good. And it's like, and it's all over from there. Yeah. So it was just it was a dream job because you liked the place more than it was like. I want to do this specific job at a place like that. Yeah, I wasn't. It was not at that point. It was not like mm-hmm. I want to be a like I want to create this. Like it was always like a cool thing. But, yeah, you know, I was like, oh, it'd be great to see how it works and like maybe get to be a part of it somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you take? Did you start taking classes at any of the the theaters here, like um, yeah. like UCB or something? Pretty uh, quickly. Yeah. So I got here for about a year. I think I took my first magnet level one class, mm-hmm. uh, two thousand like fall of two thousand eleven. Because okay. I think our class show was like or that that like January like that holiday uh, period yeah. um, show where yeah. it's always really weird because you take like two weeks off from <laughs> doing any improv for the first time and then you come back and you have to do a show <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah it took about a year to to start doing that mm-hmm. um, and I I had uh, was told I only knew about UCB um, mm-hmm. and so I looked it up and I was like I can't go to any of these classes they sell out instantaneously and magnet had like availability so yeah that was no like yeah magnet's great uh but i did not go off and seek it (laughs) (laughs) it sort of became like the well i can't do ucb (laughs) yeah no but yeah but that became i guess something because you you stayed there for so long so it must have clicked for you yeah it's great i mean uh i think that's part of the beauty of magnet is Mm -hmm. that it's not really like a beacon 
for everyone who ever wants to be on television. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, movies or do something. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, add to their resume. It's very much like a, come and hang out and, like, let's um <laughs> let's play. Do what you want to do. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's like, here's what we do if you want to be a part of that. Then exactly. come join. Yeah. Yeah. Come hang out at Walters after. Like, <laughs> right. Whatever. Yeah. It's, it's nice. Yeah. I, I don't think... I've not done a whole lot at UCB, but I think it's a little bit less mm-hmm. like that at UCB. I mean, yeah, and I've actually talked with a number of people about this on the podcast before. It's like uh, agents of actors will say, if if you want to get in something, you have to take classes at UCB, get that on your resume, because casting agents are, this particular casting agent is only seeing people if they have gone to UCB. Like, it's stuff like right. that. Yeah. And so you get a bunch of actors who just flood in there because they have to yeah um, who can take those like wednesday 12 p.m classes that i see get posted like, i don't know who's taking those yeah that's a good point they're like 500 dollars classes. <laughs> maybe it's like an nyu student who's just like that's come on mom and dad yeah. please help me get that's this possible class. too um no but like uh I, yeah that there are people who are um you know, all sides of the creative spectrum at Magnet, and um, and I feel like each uh, particular part are there in droves. So I guess it is sort of like more welcoming, especially if someone's like, "Well, I've only been here a year, and I just want to take some classes." Yeah, yeah, I think so. I I, I stuck with it because it was I made a lot of friends there, yeah. new to the city, and mm-hmm. man, what a there's what a great way to make meet new people, absolutely who share your interest and. Um, weird curiosities about comedy <laughs> yeah and so when you started moving along there when at, at what point did actually getting to work at Colbert Report come into the fold was it once you've been through all of the curriculum or was it during the curriculum um it was after I so I was actually mm-hmm. after I got um uh, a job at Colbert Report that mm-hmm. I started um, cause I, I was, oh, really? yeah, so I was, um, I was an intern at MTV news and they're under the Viacom umbrella, right? which means that which and, CBS yeah, and, um, um, Comedy Comedy Central. Central. I think more, more so just Comedy Central at that point. I'm not sure, but, uh, mm-hmm. I was someone, I had asked about Daily Show or Colbert Report internships and mm-hmm. there was nothing. And then a, I guess someone dropped out like early December for the mm-hmm. for the internship class that started in January 2011 mm-hmm. um, and they I, I expressed interest at the right time and they just they yeah. invited me in to, to interview because they needed one person to fill mm-hmm. that last thing I interviewed and they I think determined I was um, non stupid non crazy <laughs> right. um, and we were like yeah you can you start and I was like yes absolutely <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah so I owe uh, my entire career to yeah. some random person who dropped out of the Colbert Report internship yeah <laughs> yeah that's how New York works yeah. <laughs> some random thing out of your control yeah I'll never I'll probably never, work in your favor yeah I'll probably never meet this person <laughs> yeah you know who knows they they could be like. Someone could say, like, I think that was me. It was like, oh, no, I was 2012 and dropped out. You know, like, who knows? Yeah. Um, that would be cool if you did meet them. Yeah. But what if they were, like, the bizarro you and just, like, life has just gone a completely different direction? That would be, I guess, tough to me. Yeah. Prob- maybe. Yeah. They- it would be tough on their side, especially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sitting here being like, thanks. And they're just, they're, like, like- on the streets. So that'd be bad. <laughs> I would feel bad. I can't get on a house team. Um, so that's a, that's really great. That's very serendipitous for you. Yeah. Uh, and 
so you start working there as an intern and then you end up working there in a specific role. What was the role that you first started working in? A uh, production assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was interning. This was before they started paying interns. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there five days a week because I was just like, ah, this is if this is what I want to do, I should, I can, mm-hmm. uh, and I should go for it. Um, and then so I was basically, at towards the end of it, I was there all the time, so like it it was easier to hire me. Yeah. But again, Lux one. I think like our writer assistant quit, mm-hmm. which meant that one of our PAs, one which means our an executive assistant became a writer assistant. Right. And right. PA became and so people PAs, went up the, tra- it, exactly, the chain. Yeah. And a spot opened up. Yeah, and like not everyone who was a an intern at at one of these places get to get a job there. I mean, I know someone who was an intern at at late night with Seth Meyers and then they're just like were no opportunities when her internship was yeah. over you know like that happens yeah so it, yeah it's like a lot of things working in your favor here someone else just leaving yeah every time <laughs> someone leaves that's opportunity sparks <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird way to like have a career path <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> what if that was what you had to put on your LinkedIn? <laughs> like this person left, and so then I, no, um, <laughs> I filled in spaces. I am the laws of physics. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, though. Like it's good that they are just like promoting from within. Um, from you know, for one thing, like when you're working there, you want to feel appreciated and get promoted. But then also, it just like helps them because they don't have to like teach somebody how what like what the culture is and how you do what you do there yeah almost Um, every job i've had there i've had almost zero job training when i got that position because Mm -hmm. i was already doing in some capacity the the job that i I ended up doing or you were just familiar enough i imagine too with uh what they were doing yes i it's it is such a machine and i don't mean that in a bad way like these late night shows especially the 11 30 shows like there's so many roles that I had no idea necessarily existed. The thing that you always hear people talk about are the writing staff. Um, and you see, like, maybe producer names. I mean, you're looking at the credits after an episode, but all the different roles. <laughs> you know, there's so many different things that are going. There's, and then you find out about segment producers, and it's like, oh, there's just one producer per segment or something. You know, like, like different shows work differently, but it was just interesting because we've seen Late Show record a taping oh, cool. uh, a couple years ago and um i i could be wrong but it seemed like a different person because i because i'm the nerd that i am i wasn't just looking at the band and listening to them i was also like looking at the crew and what they did and and seeing what what because uh, you never know what's going on in the commercials when you're just watching mm-hmm. the show at home so i was also watching colbert not to be like oh my god there's colbert but to see like what does he do during this this time period? And I would see like different people prep him. It seemed like like before one guest, a, one person was prepping him, and then before the next guest, it was a different person. I think mm-hmm. and might be jumbling because we've seen Fallon and yeah. Seth Meyers uh, tape, so it could have been one of them. But it was just interesting that I was seeing all these different people on the floor, all these different people who were had to have been some sort of production person working there just yeah. so many different roles yeah there's a it's a beast of a machine yeah <laughs> um it really is uh it it feels like running a sprint every day okay like, and it's just and but like everyone you're right everyone knows what they 
need to do. And mm-hmm. it's as long as everyone's doing their thing, mm-hmm. it works. Yeah. yeah. But there are lots of moving parts. Yeah. And and I imagine not a ton of downtime. Uh, yeah, not a ton. It's sort of... But everyone has different downtimes, I think. Right. So just like by the ebbs and flows of, of everything. And honestly, I don't know that... I, it's... At the Colbert Report, I think I was I understood a lot more of mm-hmm. like the how the whole building operated, mm-hmm. and at the Late Show, it's just such a big operation. I honestly don't know. I could, I don't think I could take in the whole scope of it uh, yeah. accurately. I yeah, don't guess, but like I don't like not not yeah. with any confidence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I'm sure twelve thirty shows have a lot going on too, and they have to be pretty well oiled as well. But it just seems that there's there's something heightened about the 11:30 shows for them and that there is more to do or there like maybe there is more staff needed. Yeah, I don't I don't know that one actually. Yeah. yeah. Um I've never seen a 12:30 show taping or like and that distinction is where it's it becomes it we're like it feels like we're silos almost. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's just so much to do that there's not a whole lot of time to like go look at other other stuff. Right. <laughs> Especially like prop departments because it's always something like, hey, we need this now. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, like <laughs> that's got to be something where it's like, all right, you know, never a boring day. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you learn from comedy being there? Because I've heard stories. Um, I read some article where uh, the, the person who was following Colbert around was saying just throughout the day, he would just wax philosophical about comedy and, and the theory of comedy or something like that. Like, do you get to absorb much about how comedy works or do you get to learn more about comedy working in your particular role? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, as a production assistant, perhaps less Mm -hmm. so, um, when I Mm -hmm. was, um, the assistant to the executive producers, that Mm -hmm. was, um, got a more of a bird's eye view Mm -hmm. of, of like, of all that and then as a writer assistant yes you're in right you're uh, in the you're room in, you're in the room which is that's your role now uh i'm a digital writer now oh okay yeah. um so what's the distinction um so i uh, uh as a writer assistant i was um a writer's assistant <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and digital writer is like i'm writing for our digital team basically mm-hmm. any any bits that come out of our digital department okay um yeah and then yeah and so when you're working, and, and if you can't touch on this, and that's fine, um, working as an uh, an assistant to the executive producers, um, you're seeing how things are working. But how much involvement do you have with the comedy? Um, not a whole. I mean, yeah. like I'm in the room, so I hear it, but I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not actively participating in right. in making it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm there to make sure people uh, got their food and okay you know, know that they have to be in this room and not right. that room at that time. <laughs> I know someone who worked there for a little bit. He's not working there now, but he was a uh, head of producer job of some sort. And and one of the things it sounded like uh, he did was maybe like find video for a gag that some someone wrote mm-hmm. which you would i feel like have to have like comedic a comedic mindset to do that job when you get to being a writer's assistant what is is that something too where you get to have a little bit more input or is it is it kind of like being the assistant to the executive uh i think there's a little bit more input i mean like i i'm taking notes that's like uh-huh. nine, like honestly um 
for a writer assistant, the the main the main like job interview thing should uh-huh. be like a, a. I'm a good note taker. Yeah, it should be <laughs> it's like type this as fast as humanly possible. I see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It really is just a matter of like because there's so many jokes that they people forget how it was worded and stuff like that. So they're uh, just like. In a writer's room, they're just, like, bouncing jokes out, and someone else is writing them down. They're not writing them themselves? Is that... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it'll it'll vary. Sometimes mm-hmm. the writers will come in with their own... With pitches typed up, and sometimes it'll be, you know, mm-hmm. audibles. And, okay. and, and so just basically capturing anything that mm-hmm. that is... Um, that's being said in the room. That sounds intense. It's a lot of typing. Yeah. yeah. At some point, it's almost like you, I switch your brain off, and you just type. Yeah. Like, it, they become less... Um, actual sentences and they're just like okay this this sound corresponds with this keystroke does it have to um follow like a, a the format of a script when you're doing that role no okay no, that's in like a just a word blob <laughs> <laughs> okay and uh that's cool that's interesting it's something else uh you know hearing about this this aspect of it because I think, you know, from my perspective, and which is the perspective of most people who are watching it and, you know, start doing improv and want to, you know, work at a late night show one day or something like that. But we just, that's all we see is the finished product, really. And then sometimes we hear interviews where they talk about creating it, but it doesn't go into the detail. Like, we don't, we don't get an image of what it looks like. And so hearing this is more like, oh, wow, that's like... You know, and I don't mean this in a bad way either, but like a factory building a car or something like that. Like there's so many moving parts and so much like we have to work fast and get this stuff out there. And and we really have to be really fluid with one another and and making sure things stay on track. Yeah. And I think that's true of any Anything like this is really yeah. is just like constant open communication between mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. in the building and or knowing yeah everyone knowing their jobs and it's just yeah, yeah. it is a little bit even the creative aspects of it mm-hmm. you know, like it's this is I think that's perhaps something that's missed sometimes when you're like oh yeah like I want to do comedy I'm pretty funny yeah it's like that's great you probably are very funny <laughs> but there's uh, some, something but, else you need <laughs> yeah well it's just it's just that mindset of like no this is your job like the right. same way an accountant has to go in and like right. crunch numbers or right whatever the accountants do <laughs> uh, uh, like it is it is it is a skill set and a um particular muscle that's mm-hmm. that's exercised I yeah think. yeah yeah and i think that is where a lot of people get kind of hung up like maybe if you are a writer and you can write stuff then you can get a job but if you don't want to write a lot then it's going to be real tough to to stay in a role like that yeah i guess um yeah i think a lot of it is just it is a particular skill set and i think that it's a learned yeah it's like a learned one Mm because there's like lots of funny people who may not enjoy it that much um and and there are perhaps and there are ways to get better at it like Mm -hmm. I, i truly think that it's one of the like what it it's i don't perform I'm, i do perform but i'm not like great at it and part of me is like well i'm never gonna learn how to be a great performer <laughs> but i think you can learn to be like a good great yeah. writer um mm-hmm. is it within the confines of like uh a particular goal right. or something like that right um but i just yeah it's like that obviously there requires a lot to be a great writer that ha- also is like that intangible yeah <laughs> oh for sure um yeah i think um 
you know, I come from a mass comm background, and there is a certain laid back nature to certain aspects of the mass comm world. I think you Sorry, know what, that's just like uh, journalism. Oh, okay. It's just like media and oh, journalism. Okay. And um, you know, if you're in TV news, you're kind of moving fast. If you're in print, you're moving a little slower. If you're in radio, which is where I've had most of my professional experience, you're laid back. You're really laid back. There's certain times where you have to be super on it, and and it's a fast paced environment. If it's like a live show, at all, but in those moments, they're like, you know, several minutes that'll go by where you're just like, well, I don't have to do anything right, right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it's like go time mm-hmm. when, when the clock strikes a certain time. But it, it's for the most part, there's this like laid back nature to it. To put that in the comedy world, I feel like there are stand-ups who will work diligently. But there are a lot of stand-ups who are just like, whatever, I got up at noon today and, <laughs> and I just like, Farted around, smoked weed. <laughs> then I went out and did open mics and developed some some jokes. I got some new jokes from that. You know, like you can do that and still like get somewhere, but it's hard to get into a television system, a television network system like a late night show, um, and be that lazy about it or lackadaisical about it. Yeah, definitely is. Um, <laughs> it's a like you get up and you go, and not because. Uh, like you w- want to all the time, but like you have to. It's yeah, just like it's a job. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I think I was listen. I listened to your Joe Firestone podcast. Oh yeah, and she mentioned something very similar. It was very much like like uh, this is you're writing because you this is it. Like this is you have to, and it, and it, you're just churning it out. And yeah, I think that was she described it really. Yeah, really well. Yeah, yeah, and like that's something too where it's like you're just writing a bunch and there's some people who it's almost like for lack of a better term like writing on command which a lot of comedians they they aren't like that necessarily you kind of have to be told to um i mean like seinfeld was has, like famously has this thing of well i just had a calendar and then i would oh, you know yeah. sit down and write a joke because i told i said like this is the easiest job in the world. I can write a joke a day. Like that's not a big deal. Like the people have jobs that are way harder. And so I just like, you know, put an X on the day when I write a joke and then you just do that each day and you just don't break that chain. And that was like revelatory to comics, <laughs> you know, like writing a joke a day was something that made a bunch of comics go, Oh, you have to do that. Yes. You know, I mean, especially, I mean, uh, I, written a lot of packets Mm -hmm. and that's sort of that idea like i think people don't end up you sporadically write a packet like here and there every year every maybe two a year Mm -hmm. like randomly someone passes something along and it's like uh, it's it's like writing a packet every day or at least attempting to write maybe not to the that full extent because sometimes these packets are gigantic yeah um but uh you're not maybe necessarily writing a bunch of monologue jokes and a sketch each yeah. day well, <laughs> or coming up with a game. I, or yeah. Whatever. And that's what I mean about like flexing a particular muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not this. There are people I think who are just very funny and very talented who could yeah. maybe just do it. Um, but I think at least for me, it was very much like I, I had to do this every day or yeah. to get better. And I think it's a very uh, learnable skill, but it's not often treated as like, 
a skill set. Yeah, that you're right. particularly needs to be you know every day. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Like, let's write. It's gonna be bad. Like I mean, I and I, I think that's like the one most important thing I've learned is like almost like so much of it is gonna be bad. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. okay. And it's not yeah. like it's not so much like developing a, a thick skin mm-hmm. as so much just like being okay with that, letting that yeah. like um, immersing yourself in like knowing that failure is a hundred percent part of this process, and that's great. Absolutely, yeah, it is great yeah. because you do and and a lot of the creative process. Um, that I'm probably most familiar with in a traditional sense of a creative process is from what I have seen with musicians and, and heard about musicians where they are, like I've heard about um, some big band, uh, I think it was U2, that they would write like 40 songs per album and then just whittle it down to the 12 that they put, you know, and they said, well, these are the 12 best or, or the 12 that we think work together and stuff like that. You know, there's some people who are just like, ah, let me just write a couple of filler songs to get up to 12. Uh You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, that's um, a different process, of course, but the U2 process is similar to what you're saying. And I've also heard someone say like, you know, uh, so-and-so taught me how to write because they were just writing stuff, even if it was bad, they were just getting it out. And you kind of have to like... The quantity is where you're going to be able to find some quality stuff. You might write 20 jokes. Two of them might be really great. Yeah. That's fine. Because if you hadn't written 40, you probably wouldn't have gotten those two. Yeah. You know, like, or 20 or whatever the, you know, the number is. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's really, like, crucial. But one thing that's really interesting to me, and that, uh, I'm because of your uh, view on, on people writing comedy... Um, which I have not had, I'm wondering what the creative process is with comedy in a world like what you're in. What I've seen musicians do is just, you know, they'll sit down at a piano or a guitar and just sort of noodle around with with chords or, or melodies until they just find something that they think they can work with. I don't know what the comedy equivalent to that necessarily is. Is it just like... Um, here's something I was thinking about the other day and I, you write it down and you just keep doing that until you realize like, okay, this works. Like what is, what is that process when it's that much of a skill? Um, I, so I think it's different for everybody. Right. I'll speak for myself and that's like, it's, um, how I sort of view improv, like it's it's pattern recognition. Mm-hmm, uh, at least mm-hmm. for me, uh, sometimes you just you're inspired by something, and there's I don't know, right? How to, Which uh, is the stand-up so what, approach. So the I process took. is um, is uh, catching lightning in a bottle. Right, every, right. Um, uh, that's my creative process. No, um, uh, I think. For me, it was like, oh, so when I started doing improv, I was bad at it. <laughs> like, I was, it was just not something, you're not used to being a human on stage, which mm-hmm. is what makes, I think makes for good improv, is mm-hmm. like being relatable and vulnerable on stage. And when you get on stage as a person who doesn't think that way, there's like a, the transition period of like, how do I act like a normal human being who's not on stage? Right. On stage, but also like perform. Right. Um, I think it's, it feels similar to that. Like I got better, I think, because a you get more comfortable, but b mm-hmm. um, you recognize patterns uh, that mm-hmm. are 
comedic, I guess. Yeah, it's like uh, uh, your sensibilities. Yeah. You, you start having more sophisticated sensibilities. Yeah. They talk, like That's why like chess masters, they say they play lots of rounds of chess because they recognize they're obvious. I think they're like almost what is essentially infinite scenarios on the chessboard Mm -hmm. but like you just start recognizing more of them Mm -hmm. and same with like athletes and anyone who has almost almost anything we do you Mm -hmm. just start recognizing um uh, when when something happens you you like your brain clicks faster yeah um that's that's how it is for me and then Mm -hmm. on top of that just i don't know always end your jokes on the on the strongest punchline word (laughs) keep it short (laughs) right i mean it's it's for me when i was doing stand-up regularly um you know i would just have like some idea would come to me i would put it down on my phone um sometimes i'd be a little off the cuff with material i'd already done and then also other new material i'd written down and the thing that you're doing in that situation is I hear the jokes and let me just see what does well with mm-hmm. the audience. And then like, okay, these did well. I'll develop those a little more. This one doesn't work at all. I can just throw it away. Yeah. Um, but that is such a, that is like a lazier way of, of creating. Like if you want to write a bunch each day, you can't do that because it will take too long. You got to be able to sit down, write the stuff out and say like, okay, this will work. Well, I think it's, I think that that's not the lazy way. That's a great way to do it. Like it just takes time. And mm-hmm. I think to, to an extent, that's what happens at a lot of these shows is they, they have that constant feedback. So instead of doing mm-hmm. them open mic one night and then like seeing how that works and then going back, it's like, it's like every two hours you get this feedback ah, okay. almost. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, or not feedback, just like you see if it works or not. Like yeah. in, the, in the room, in your, if you're in the like I, I, it's sort of like being in a sketch room. It's just mm-hmm. you know you read this thing that you wrote, or you and you start pitching around on it, and mm-hmm. sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and like you're you're constantly whittling, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that sounds good then. <laughs> that I didn't <laughs> that I didn't have such a terrible approach. No, um, yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I, I mean honestly, that's how it, it's it's it really it, it's okay. I think it's maybe in the standard world in improv, it's like that. Like mm-hmm. oh, something you throw something out, it doesn't work great you got another thing <laughs> you know like you right. just um uh, you don't want it to feel like machine line like that yeah but there is a an element of like oh like this mis- th- not this move i made is not really hitting mm-hmm. um how do i adjust because i can't just walk off stage right now <laughs> <laughs> right oh so true i've seen seth and fallon both do a uh monologue rehearsal does colbert do a monologue rehearsal with an audience or or anything like that? Uh, yeah, there's with the we have rehearsal with the with the um, with the staff and yeah. So that one's not open to any public. Um, not that I'm okay. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah it's it was cool that I hadn't heard about it until like Seth and they open it up to the public to mm-hmm. do. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, um, we got to see it a couple years ago around that same time we saw him and um. So did you get to stay for the the? The show show, or is it two different audiences? It's basically two different things, but in Seth Meyers' case, we did get to go to the... Because we signed up for tickets, and then we were just, like, in 30 Rock, and they also had, like, oh, you can go see him do the monologue. And so we are like, okay. It was like, they'll have you out in time to also get in line to go up for the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
We just watched. Wait, they made you go back outside and wait in line to get no, back no, in the no, show? no. It's just like you come back down oh, okay. stairs, and then it's time in the NBC store to I just see. line up. So okay. you didn't have to go outside yeah. or anything. We already had our name down and everything. It's just cool, like cool. you know, standing in that inside line, and um, it was uh, very like <laughs> easy going. It was like really cool to see it the same day too. To like see them rehearse a bunch of jokes. And see how they re- reacted to him, how the writers and, and Seth reacted to him, and then go watch them record the show with some of those jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was an interesting process. How many jokes do they even go through, like in that rehearsal? Like at least at late shows, it. I I don't like know. Twice as many or something. <laughs> uh, I don't. I can honestly say I don't know because I've never counted. <laughs> jokes yeah i don't, uh, yeah, I don't know, know i many... think it's mostly uh, yeah i, I, I just sorry. know I that his problem is just more than uh what they end up with on the show oh sure yeah, yeah <laughs> i just know yeah, that much yeah, yeah. <laughs> i haven't counted either. yeah yeah there's a whittling process <laughs> yeah it's really interesting to me to see like the different mindsets of how people approach it what all do you get to learn also um, from maybe Colbert if you ever bump into him and like or in a or in a meeting with him? Are there any gems of like uh, comedy theory that you've heard him you know, <laughs> give out? He's a really good storyteller. Yeah, that we have a, actually have a segment uh, in our digital department where he mm-hmm. tells stories and they're they're he's if nothing else that's I've. He's a great story. Yeah. I mean, oh, obviously, sure. he's so much more. But Yeah, uh, I've seen him tell a story about uh, Charleston and meeting his wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That one. That was a that great one, yeah. story. He's a really, really good storyteller. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, it was. it's mostly just like uh, I've learned personally to keep it short. <laughs> <laughs> I like jokes. Jo- like jokes are important. Uh, mm-hmm. Like jokes are sort of like the currency. Yeah. And I think perhaps less of, like, a comedy theory Mm -hmm. I've taken away that's just, like, you're just constantly writing more, trying to make the people around you laugh, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. is the is the best part of it. Yeah. Um, And it's a lot like improv. Like, it's the most fun you have is... is, uh, is hang out with the you know your group, <laughs> yeah, making, making each other laugh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and I think that translates to a certain extent. You mentioned earlier that you were working for Colbert Rapport and and uh, and start doing the improv stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you have a capacity for that? Because it seems like you're so busy working at the job, and it's like comedy all day. How did you also still want to do comedy? Yeah. <laughs> like, go to classes, and then like when you start performing. Right. Well, I will say that when I was an intern in a PA, it was a lot. It was pro- it was a production side of things. Mm-hmm. It was like making sure people got fed, making things things were stocked, mm-hmm. driving box trucks. Like, yeah. It was it was a production gig. It was mm-hmm. not a comedy gig. Right. It happened. It was a production gig at a comedy place. <laughs> uh, so like performing was really great. Uh, yeah. It was if nothing. It was tiring because you're out late and mm-hmm. week weeknights and stuff like that. Um, but. It was actually really nice to get to do that, um, mm-hmm. to be creative and yeah. um, and be on stage and do be silly. <laughs> yeah. When you got a, on a house team at Magnet, when did that fall? Where were you working when you got on a house team at Magnet? I think I was at the Late Show at that point. Okay. I think we had transitioned over um, mm-hmm. by then. Yeah, because I remember 
I'm going through where I got that email and it was on a subway platform that I wouldn't have been on if I we were still at the old Colbert <laughs> okay. portal. So yes, it was definitely <laughs> Uh, thank you for taking that journey with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I've had Paul Mercurio on the podcast. Uh, the, the, the guy who, yeah, it was our warm-up. Yeah, yeah. warm-up guy. Um, the other person I mentioned, too, those are the only two other than you for people who work at Late Show who've been on the podcast. And I always often wonder, because it's like the last people who kind of want to invite to shows are other comedians because like you know they're busy it must be even more so at late show you don't want to like i mean or do you what does do you it mean? feel like every comic obviously your friends you'll invite to shows and they may do comedy too you or mean like our too. improv shows and stuff like that right yeah. but like you know are you mentioning the palmer cure like hey i got a show if you want to come to it you know <laughs> or, or like one of the other writers or something like that i tell the uh my coworkers and stuff like mm-hmm. if i have like i'm i'm not doing as much improv anymore mm-hmm. um we uh but like i'll be like if come see our you know sketch sketch team show oh cool yeah if, yeah and people are sometimes they come I, it's, <laughs> I think it's less like it's less of uh i do comedy at work i don't want to see more comedy i think it's just like I want to go home and watch yeah. Netflix. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm not going into the city to do this. I don't care. Uh, like that's my favorite part of. I mean, that's like when when I love watching like seeing people who are so passionate that they're going to go out of their way that they're not going to go home and like be comfortable. Because that's what I want to do. Like I see these Trump rallies and mm-hmm. there's like thousands. There's no. There's thousands of people there. I'm like. I won't even go see a band I like <laughs> if they're more if they're like in Queens on a weeknight. Like I this this that's the more mind boggling part for me. <laughs> like, you you wanted to be there for that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess I just wonder if like you know, are you gonna say like, hey, Brian Stack? Like, you want to? <laughs> you know, I mean, we do uh, the UCB late show. Yeah, I was just show. about to ask about that. Um, so we get to do that once mm-hmm. a month, and that's really fun. Yeah, and that audience. We do. I generally tell people on staff, like people on staff, generally know when right. it's happening, and, so, and sometimes yeah. they'll ask, mm-hmm. like, "Hey, when's the next show?" Um, but uh, that one—that's my favorite audience yeah. because it's filled with people who don't normally watch comedy. Oh, great! It's great. Oh yeah, because with like <laughs> Late Show in the title, that would be. I think you know. so. I don't know why. Like more so than at like your house team shows where it's like all yeah. other improvisers and comedians this so one other is people very in that much community like, yeah yeah you get people who are like man did you all did you all like prepare that <laughs> yeah I love, I love that i love because <laughs> you don't like honestly at this point that that audience doesn't really exist for oh right most of like no. your small theater you never get that like question that. anymore yeah i mean that's um that's really interesting yeah and it's not just i mean ucb is going to be a tourist destination, for lack of a better term. I don't mean that in a, in a knockoff way. It's just when people travel here, they're always mm-hmm. like, "Gotta go see a comedy seller show or a UCB yeah, show," yeah, you yeah. know, like that. There's that, and then when they hear like, "Oh, and there's the late show writers are going to be at UCB. Let's go see that." So that would be like, you know, where you get a bunch of people who are not maybe yeah. comedians. You know, and like, it's really fun because almost like I think there are a few people who are really great improvisers mm-hmm. but we just don't get to improvise um, or they don't get to improvise uh, as much mm-hmm. as like, you know coming through Chicago or something like that. Right. But, um, and I, the all the other shows have them too. I think like Myers has one. I mean obviously I they, I have, heard they of have a couple people one. who yeah. you know like um, Foursquare or what not um, what is it 
the one with uh, John Lutz and yeah, yeah, like, and then um, Daily Show has one mm-hmm. uh, at UCB too. I think they're yeah, yeah, they're really fun. I always I think of it as like watching professional basketball players play baseball like they're still athletic (laughs) but it's not the same sport (laughs) that's interesting i would think so many of them would have come from improv they do yeah they just haven't done it in a while yeah it's still really fun yeah it's still it's still great it's um but you know like if you're coming up like you right now probably you probably improvise like three times a week not three <laughs> yeah uh, or, or like, have like, like rehearsal but you do a rehearsal regularly. And, yeah a couple it's times part a of week, your yeah. schedule mm-hmm, like this mm-hmm. is like a once a month uh type oh thing. yeah and but then like their comedy brain is working in a different way on the on a regular basis i think so yeah 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 i think that's a good way to <laughs> so you come up with jokes but then like acting them out is not the part that they're used to maybe yeah, I, and again, some of these people are, were born through and right. through performers, and yeah. they're John fantastic. Lux is a good example. <laughs> yeah, right. They're doing that, and <laughs> Brian Stack. And yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Um, you also are a photographer, and you have some, yeah. some really great stuff that I've seen in oh, your thanks. portfolio. I had no idea you did the sexy baby. Which is a magnet team. Yes. Uh, they, they, it's not a, a creepy I'm thing a, I'm saying. I'm a photographer for sexy <laughs> babies. A, yeah. Um, no, but that's a house team at Magnet. And they have this incredible photo, team photo. I didn't know that you shot that. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's cool. You yeah. have a really good eye for for photography. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, so I originally bought a camera like a nicer camera to do sketches mm-hmm. and i realized that i needed like a lot more willing hands and friends to do that and i was like i, I just started taking pictures and i like that a lot more mm-hmm. um yeah the sexy baby photo was really fun because yeah. it was a it's a it was a composite yeah basically i just see things like i i think are cool and try to i learn by trying to recreate them so a lot of youtube mm-hmm. things and stuff like that mm. uh youtube tutorials on like how to do the like photoshop stuff yeah um yeah, that just so in case listeners haven't gone to look at the sexy baby team photo, which you can see on magnettheater.com, um, they're like eight people, nine people on the team, and they all were playing a few different characters and dressed up, and they're all throughout the uh, magnet theater in the, not on the stage, but in the audience where the chairs are. So it's just. Uh, I don't know. It looks like there are a hundred different people. Yeah, there's a bunch of versions, but it's the same eight people. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's really a great shot and and was well put together. And it's thank you. You can't see where, like you know how you did it from it. You know, like that's. I, I can find those if you want me to point them out. <laughs> I would, you know, maybe we can't. You could point it to point it out to me later, yeah. and I could be like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, you hit it really well. Thanks. Is is this something that is uh, so you can turn. Does this just help you completely turn off your comedy brain, or do you find that photography has helped comedy, or vice versa? I think it's just an extra thing. Like yeah. it's like a fun hobby. Yeah, I, I, and it's and it's nice. We have uh, obviously we're at a theater where there's lots of actors and actresses mm-hmm. who like want need headshots or yeah. want to. You know what it needs something for a show and mm-hmm. so there's like a demand for it to some extent but mm-hmm. also i just like the sort of um creative and lo- like logistical combination because a lot of it is just like understanding like light and getting your settings <laughs> dialed in and then on top of that making sure that translates into the final 
image of like what right. you're going for and right. then sometimes you find something new or mm-hmm. you get exactly what you're looking for or it's terrible but i like that sort of combination of like um it feels like a left brain right brain exercise yeah um and it's and it's just fun and i you hang out with your friends for a few hours <laughs> yeah. and you get like a fun photo or something like that they're they're really great shots i saw them on your website which has a great name status quo but it's not uh <laughs> q-u-o it's how you spell yeah, your last name. name yeah it's a great great idea um, so if anyone wants to see your portfolio, they can go there and check it out. Yeah, please check it out. Yeah. Well, um, we have you know gotten to the end of this podcast, uh, oh, this wow. episode. Okay. Yeah, it's like uh, quick. Uh, so now we're at the portion where we try to create something together. And what I'm interested in, just because you've seen how people work, if I want to get better, if I, if I want to get into, say, fighting shape to get a job at a late night show or to create my own thing, and want to, you know, be that well-oiled machine. What are some things I can do to prepare myself? Uh, write every day, mm-hmm. oh, and 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 anything that you want. Okay. I think. I mean, if there's like a particular show you do truly like, you just watch the show and write mm-hmm. in that voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, voice that that's important um, because, yeah, because each show is so specific. Absolutely, yeah. You couldn't come to... If you wanted to write a packet for Late Show, you can't like come yeah. up with some game that would be better suited on The Tonight Show. Yeah, those... Uh, yeah, the, I mean... Yeah, the, like your your Last Week Tonight packet is going to look very different than, uh, <laughs> yeah. than your uh, Fallon or Myers packet. Right. You know, it's just different people saying different things, so mm-hmm. it has to be different. Mm-hmm. So I, I write, and I'm also like... Uh, Twitter accounts help. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I think they do. I, I've heard a lot of stories of people getting hired with like Twitter, you know, looking mm-hmm. at their Twitter accounts and seeing that, and then you know your McSweeney's and your New Yorker right, shouts yeah. and murmurs and Belladonna's and Reductress and yeah, all, like honestly, just like any avenue you can to show, like to make your work easily Googleable. I mm-hmm. think this is me because like I've I, my path is a little different. I think because it was <laughs> like I've just sort of. <laughs> continuously lucked into new someone kept positions. leaving yeah someone kept leaving um uh and how to oh okay here's one um how to write a story mm-hmm. and like i mean that in that uh you have to be able to explain if if you're doing politics or something like that, you have mm-hmm. to be able to explain what you're saying. Yeah, and it has to make sense even before the jokes are in there. Right. At least in my experience, like no, I, that's I, everything I, I've seen. That that's whether it's you know Daily Show or Samantha B. Like it has to be able to make like people won't necessarily agree. Like if it's a conservative watching Samantha B, they may not agree with the point she's making, Yeah. but it still has to follow like this happened and this happened and this happened. And here's the through line that makes you follow that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I, when I had an internship at NPR and the person we were doing radio and the person was like, um, the thing you're about to write has to be understandable by a mom driving two kids who are screaming in the back and uh-huh. you still have to be able to tell this headline. Like that's that's sort of and that's the extreme version of it, but mm-hmm. I think there's like an element of just yeah, there's basic basic, you know, this is what's this is what I'm telling you. This is why it's important. Mm-hmm. This is why you should care. Yeah. Uh, like those three and just sort of tell the basics, the bare bones of it, the structure. Mm-hmm. Um also uh I the packet system is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, or uh, crazy is the wrong word. It's just I don't. It's a. Um, I don't know why some people get packets and some people don't. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you, you should if you get one, you should share it. That's honestly this is my this is me doing what I like a small like your success or someone else's success doesn't take away from yours. Okay. Like because at the end of the day, if these packets are hard to come by, um, like when you get one, you should share it. Maybe when someone else gets one, they'll share it with you because mm-hmm. really that's like that's share like, what you put in your packet no share like, share getting it like uh, the, an, an opportunity oh, to see. submit i know sometimes it's like this is um we've selected some shows might do like oh this is only these people are are getting it. that's fine don't don't, mm-hmm. don't like don't you know offend <laughs> the the show that asks you to submit but like if it if it's like an open call like, mm-hmm. or and you get it and like don't not share it <laughs> uh-huh. uh if, if someone oh, else who, share, who shares a to a like to, to like keep the numbers low don't yeah you know like, like oh a late show is asking for packets i'm not gonna tell anybody yeah because <laughs> i don't want them this competition yeah i mean that sort of yeah thing. that okay. thing it's like just be everyone everyone be nice <laughs> don't and, be so cutthroat yeah don't mm-hmm. be so cutthroat yeah that's, well, then, that's you know. i think that and you know just write uh, you oh you also have to read the loud news and be okay yeah. with that <laughs> yeah oh yeah um yeah yeah because that's sort of the just this yeah <laughs> that's the game you yeah. know if it's late if it's yeah, cause late you do, night show you do kind of <laughs> need to know off the top of your head like a lot of politicians and mm-hmm. you gotta know who rex tillerson anchor. is yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, there's and there's why that person matters yeah in the grand scheme of things exactly. and how they're viewed in the grand scheme of things too yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah so i uh, familiar so recap <laughs> right politics and um be nice and share share packets <laughs> nice yeah well thank you for being here there well, thanks it is for having me Jimmy Quo, great guest, loved having him on and hearing about working at a show like that, especially when he was working in production, because I had the impression working in production at a show like that just runs you ragged. But hearing that he was doing that and studying improv and then getting on a house team was actually encouraging. Uh, It's nice to know that you can do both. Jimmy's sketch team at The Magnet is the executives or are the executives. You know, when it's a team name like that, it's hard to know what you're supposed to, if you're supposed to say is or are. I guess it depends if you're in England or America. But nevertheless, that team has previous guests, Xavier Podden, Elena Scopetos, and Lane Quaderis on it, and they're coming back next month with a brand new season. And the show they're doing, I think it's going to be like a high concept murder mystery type show. So check that out if you're in town. And you can find out more about James and see some of his great photography on his website, Status Quo, link in bio. Don't forget, you can follow or like us on Twitter and Facebook at There It Is Pod. And I have a couple of great interviews coming up just this weekend. And uh, they're, they're some fun guests. And we'll have some more fun guests next week and the week after, unless something goes haywire. I like to think that I'm sabotaging anything that could go wrong by mentioning the possibility that something could get thrown off the track. I feel like I'm jinxing getting jinxed. (laughs) Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 